0: Welcome back in, everybody. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on this Friday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You know, Religion of Sports is a media company that should be familiar to fans in our region because it's partly started by former Patriots quarterback Tom Brady, and we talked a lot about Religion of Sports a couple years ago when Brady released the Tom versus Time documentary. Well, Religion of Sports has grown a lot since then, and they're really, really big now in the podcast game, and one of the podcasts that they have produced now is a seven-part series. It's called Crushed. It's about the 1998 home run race in baseball, about the steroid era in baseball. And uh, part two has just come out now. And the brain behind it is Joan Neeson, formerly of Sports Illustrated, who's working on this project for Religion of Sports. And she's with us now as part of our Friday Diamond discussion. So, Joan, thanks for being with us. How are you?
1: Thanks for having me. I'm doing great.
0: Well, I appreciate you being with us. Look, the, the steroid era, the 98 home run race, it's been written about, right? It's been talked about. We had a 30 for 30 on it last summer. Why did you want to tell a story that has been told and what are you doing differently?
1: Yeah. So I have been working on this project since January of 2020. So it's wow. been a minute. So we did not even know about the 30 for 30 when we yeah. um, got the ball rolling. When I came on at Religion of Sports in January of 2020, I um, one of the guys who is sort of spearheaded starting this audio department, Adam Schlossman, had a kernel of an idea about a podcast about the steroid era and sort of tied to the congressional hearings in 2005, That sort of were a turning point for baseball, I think, in terms of, you know, its popularity and also it sort of fixing its steroid problem. Mm-hmm. And I kind of took that idea and ran with it. And so 30 for 30 comes along a few months later, and my producer and I were both like, oh, gosh, you know, <laughs> are they going to just tell our story here that we're telling? And I think what we're doing is very different. That was um, that production focused a lot on the home run race and it had great highlights and really captured the excitement of that summer. But um, really kind of steroids were an afterthought there and steroids are not an afterthought for us. Um, they are front and center. And I think we're trying to just take a slightly different look at steroids, a slightly less moralizing, a slightly less sort of witch hunt type look. Mm. Not to say that we're like going on this podcast saying everyone go take steroids. They're great. But I think um, just trying to look at them through a more nuanced lens than most people have in sports media.
0: You know, when we think about steroid era, we think about McGuire, we think about Sosa, we think about Bonds. But what your podcast has done and your docu-series has done is talk with a lot of, I hesitate to say lesser players because they're all in the major leagues, but guys that maybe had real moral decisions to make of, hey, people around me are doing this. Should I do this to keep my career even going or should I play it straight, but it may end my career? I think that's an interesting angle that I, I, I think your podcast series is going to tackle.
1: Yeah. So next week's episode that comes out on, gosh, what would the date be? I think the 22nd of April will really sort of go in that direction. And that's sort of where the series goes. One thing I realized early on was that these guys, these prominent players, that's only a tiny, tiny portion of the story on steroids. And also they don't like talking about it. So Mm -hmm. I knew the odds of like Barry Bonds or Mark McGuire sitting down with me for this project were pretty slim, no matter sort of what argument I made. But beyond that, it's like, that's a Percent of a percent of a percent of the guys who had to make this decision about whether to use steroids, and yeah, we talked to guys who are maybe not household names, who's who aren't you know whose jerseys aren't selling out, guys like that who had some really tough decisions to make, and um, I think it's a little easier to feel a level of empathy for guys like that who it's a matter of your paycheck and feeding your family in some cases um, to take these drugs or not.
0: What sense did you get of how much steroids helped? athletes in competition? Cause we're all trying to quantify what the effect is. Is it, Hey, the guy could hit it 200 feet and now we can hit it 700 feet or it takes it from three thirty 30 to three forty five. Like what's the, what was the impact?
1: So there's no real consensus on that because we can't study steroids medically because right. they're illegal. And, um, it's really impossible to study mm-hmm. them. It would be great to like actually have guys say I took steroids before and after and mm-hmm. Try to make a control group for that. We can't. However, through all the reporting I did, and I talked to doctors, I talked to ethicists, I talked to players, obviously. Um, I really think that it is more a matter of, you know, a ball just eking its way over the fence versus being in the upper deck. Um, not to say that Mark McGuire or Barry Bonds would have set a home run record without steroids. I, I don't think that's the case. I think steroids got them there. But I, I do think you have to have certain skills. You have to have that vision. You have to have the swing, all of the intangibles that you develop as a kid, as a teenager, as a minor leaguer, before you're taking steroids, probably. Um, But then, yeah, I mean, you look at these guys. They're huge. The balls are just, they're launched to high heaven. And I I don't think that happens in a lot of cases without a little extra help.
0: Joan Neeson from Religion of Sports with us here. She's part of the Crushed podcast team. Part two is out. Part three comes out next Thursday. She's here with us on the Brady Farkas show, taking a look at the uh, 98 home run race in the steroid era that uh, kind of encompassed that period of time how did steroids grow or become more evolved? Because when I think about nineties steroids and baseball players, I think guys who just got stronger. When I think about 2000 steroids, I think about more sophisticated Andy Pettit saying it helped me in recovery. So how did steroids or cheating grow as we move forward, you know, from 98 to 2008?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a huge misconception. That this was just home run hitters who were taking these drugs Ooh. and I think, yeah, I think these drugs came into baseball because of sort of like that 80s macho culture. I mean, that was sort of this weightlifting (laughs) craze. And obviously the guys who wanna get big are the guys who are probably gonna take them first. But I think very quickly, a lot of players who, a lot of pitchers, um, a lot of guys, like scrappy infielders who wanted to improve their bat speed or their fast twitch muscles. I've heard so many stories about guys who were not taking these to hit home runs. And like you said, the technology improves. Um, you know, anabolic steroids have been around for, you know, not that long, really, in terms of in sports, they, they appeared in the 20th century in sports, and um, they're getting better, you know, and the science is always one step ahead of the testing and the competition and everything. But yeah, it, it's very interesting how we have this idea of what these drugs do, and they really can do a lot of different things um, and make people better at sports in a lot of different ways.
0: You talk about next week's episode coming out, talking about players who had decisions to make. Did steroids in any way divide clubhouses because the guy next to me is cheating and the guy next to me is getting a contract that I want and getting playing time that I want and I'm not? Was there a division there within clubhouses?
1: Yeah, I think there was. And it's interesting because you talk to some guys who maybe chose not to take and know their teammates did who say, you know, I don't. I don't begrudge anyone anything. And I think that's sort of part of that code of like, we were all in this together. And yeah. there's not a lot of like retrospective finger pointing I, that I found in this. Um, that said, I think at the time it was very frustrating. And I think that really that division in Clubhouse is what, le- is what led to steroid testing. It's what led to MLB cracking down because basically there had to be enough voices within the players union who were incentivized to want to implement testing. In order for the league to start testing and that was a huge tipping point
0: is what we saw from the steroid era in terms of the way the game was played and the excitement does that in any way leak over to how baseball is played today i mean um more emphasis on the home run more emphasis on throwing harder is any of what the game is being played today built out of what we saw from the mid-90s
1: that's a great question and you know i think think the throwing harder is probably more of a callback to some of those steroid era trends than the home run is I feel like yeah we've seen some big home run seasons the last couple of years but it sounds like the ball was potentially mm. juiced a bit and um from what I know just you know covering baseball here and there over my career I've never been a devoted baseball writer before before this but guys aren't that's not the objective here the objective it's it's so sort of numbers based now and it's so scientific and um I don't think that's really like the philosophy most hitting coaches are preaching. Um, I remember, I don't, this is a paraphrasing of the quote. I grew up in St. Louis with a Cardinals fan as a kid. And the former Cardinals manager, Mike Matheny, really hated when his players hit home runs. I remember him giving a quote to the paper in St. Louis about how they kind of slow down rallies. And I don't think yeah. that's like a common thing. But in general, that's not what hitting coaches are preaching. I do think pitching, I mean, it is. What do you want to do? You want to throw over a hundred? You know, yeah. we look at Shohei Otani the other night, and mm-hmm. he's throwing one hundred and one, and that's what we want to see. <laughs> um, So yeah, that's I think more of a line that really hasn't changed a ton since the steroid era. I think guys are doing it naturally now because of other advances.
0: So you get to religion of sports, come up with this project January of two thousand twenty. Uh, so we're working on now fourteen months or so. How many interviews? How many people did you have to track down? And did you get a lot of nos along the way? A whole lot of no's, huh. um,
1: mostly from players, because yeah. players still don't want to talk about this. So, I mean, honestly, with players, I can't even count how many emails and phone calls I you know, made and sent. And, you know, probably like one in 10 guys said yes to me player wise, mm. maybe less than that. Um, people around the game, um, a little more willing to talk, um, came across a lot of people who were like, I haven't thought about this in a while. And I have some new thoughts on this that I... I mm. I didn't have 15 years ago. Um, so yeah, I mean, I talked to, I mean, I don't, in terms of formal interviews, like dozens and then even more than that, just calls talking about it with people. It was it was a lot.
0: You know, I have a question that I hope I ask in the way I want it to. If ESPN does a project, if Fox does a project, a really long established media company, maybe people look at it differently. Like, hey, I've watched ESPN for years. I kind of know what it is. Religion of Sports is a new media company. So how do you sell a project to a, subject or, Hey, I want to get you on for religion of sports, but I have never heard of religion of sports yet. Like how do you sell the project when you're coming at it from a company that isn't as well-known?
1: That's a great question because this is the first time in my career that I haven't worked for some kind of largely legacy publication, Mm -hmm. whether it's a newspaper or sports illustrated where I was for six years. And that name carries a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. it wasn't hard to convince someone to let me come write about them usually at sports illustrated. And this was different. And I, I think for me, I tried to you know, share a little bit about the company's mission and also my body of work over the course mm-hmm. of my career. Um, and I think that helped. I certainly think yeah. that, like, people can look at your Twitter; they can kind of get a sense of who you are and what your sensibilities are. And I think that helped. I also think that there probably were people who would have maybe talked to me if I were still at Sports Illustrated or at ESPN or had that name to back it up. And that's just the reality of this business.
0: It's a seven-part series. I'll leave you with this. I always like to ask this question: What's the thing? that got put on the cutting room floor? What's the thing that got left on the deck that we're not going to hear?
1: Okay. I'm pretty confident this is definitely left on the deck because we we have a little bit left to do (laughs) work-wise. We talked to some guys who were really involved in making the ad Chicks Dig the Long Ball that came out in the late 90s where McGuire is hitting home runs and Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin are like wanting to do that and going (laughs) to the calisthenics to like become home run hitters. And um, we talked to the guys who were behind that ad mm. as sort of a commentary on that time. And in the end, I think we had to move forward a little more quickly, and that got left behind. But the story of that ad and these guys, sort of Tom Matt, Tom Glavin, and Greg Maddox, like training <laughs> to be in this commercial, um, was were pretty funny.
0: Joan Neeson, she's the the brains behind the podcast docu series Crushed. It's out now. Two parts of it are out. Part three comes out next week Apple podcast Spotify wherever you get your podcast you can find it Joan we appreciate the time the perspective and uh, you know the pandemic I think probably gave you a lot of time to do this project to the you know to the level that it needed to be done so I'm looking forward to hearing it over a seven part series rather than condensed into a half hour.
1: Yeah, absolutely I'm really <laughs> looking forward to everyone getting to listen. <laughs>